to return again to that chapter that we read together, Exodus chapter 1. And we will take as our text this day the words we find in verse 17. And the midwives feared God and did not, as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. I don't know if you're like I am when you read the word of God and you come across a character in the Bible and there's only just one or two words written about them. And yet these one or two words say so much about them. And we find that when we study that passage that they are really heroes of the Bible. In this portion of scripture we come across two Two midwives whose names are Pua and Shipra. And we will look at these two and try and bring to your attention a little bit about them today. Shipra and Pua, two hidden heroes of the Bible. And what I seek to do, as the Lord will enable me, is look at verses 15 to 21 and find out what they did and how the Lord dealt with them. And look at it under three headings. We shall look first of all at the words of the king to the midwives in verses 15 to 18. And that will take up most of our time. Our second heading will be the words of the midwives to the king. And then finally the words of God regarding the midwives. Before we do that, I want to just spend just a minute or two recapping what we've read in the previous 14 verses. Just so that you are up to date with what is going on in this chapter. In verses 1 to 5 we see the entry of Jacob's family that is recorded here as they enter into Egypt. And then we find in verse 5 of the word of God here We read of Abraham's descendants entering into Egypt and we read that there is only 70 of them. Wonderfully and miraculously read that from small beginnings in verse 7, we read that out of these 70 people, that multitudes grow from them. And we find and we read and we realize that two of the promises that the Lord gave to Abraham in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12 and in verse 2, we read that the Lord said to him, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless and make your name great, so you will be a blessing. And further on in Genesis chapter 17 and in verse 6, we read that the Lord says to Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. And out of these 70, this is what is happening and taking place. Multitudes of people are coming into this world from these 70. In verses 8 to 10, you read of a new king, a new pharaoh that has come. And this pharaoh has no interest in the promises of Abraham. He has no interest in the life of Joseph. He is a hater of these people And he is a hater of anything to do with the God that they represent. And he sees this multitude of people ever increasing as a threat to his role as king 
and to his power as king. And then we find in verses 11 to 14 his first plan, the plan that he brings into fruition to depopulate these people at that time. He comes up with this brainwave to depopulate the Israelite people. And the way in which he plans to do it is through slave labour. He plans to work these people to death, particularly the men. And this king doesn't care if the men die in the process of building all the treasure cities that they are making and in the process of making all these bricks that they are making for the pharaoh. He doesn't care if they die or not. All he wants to do is make this large group of people smaller and smaller and smaller. You would think it's a great idea. On paper, it's genius. That is, of course, until you read verse 12. Because all that is on the king's mind is no men, no children. But verse 12, we read this. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. And so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. It's remarkable when we read this portion of scripture that his plan has failed. This genius thing that he had put together, God has intervened. And out of these seventies, the promises made so long ago to Abraham have come to pass. And so we find that he comes up with plan B. And we find that there are three plans in this chapter by Pharaoh to depopulize the people. And so he enters into his second plan. If he thought his first one was a great one, he thought his second one was just the better, best. And it is from his second plan that Shipra and Pua come into the equation. So we welcome them into the story. Just now enter Shipra, enter Pua. And we find out how they come into the equation. I wonder if you've ever read this chapter and you've never even really noticed these names, Shipra and Pua. I wonder if you've read this chapter and you've never really thought about what they did and how significant they are in this chapter. Well, let's look at our first heading then. The words of the king to the midwives are recorded in verses 15 to 18. What can I tell you about Shipra and Pua? You know, I can tell you nothing. All I can tell you is what scripture records. Their names are given and their occupation as midwives. There's nothing else that I can see. There are many commentators who believe that they were the only two midwives there at that time. And there are many other commentators who believe that there were so many Israelites that these two women, Shipra and Pua, were the chief midwives. And they were in charge of a team of midwives of the Israelite people when the women were giving, going into labor and giving birth. But we read that they are Hebrew midwives in verse 15. And in the original language, the word Hebrew midwives means simply this. 
It means that they are midwives to the Hebrew women. They were Egyptian women who were entrusted with bringing Israelite children into the world. And in and through this, it is, mostly, it is most unlikely that Shipra and Pua were Israelite people. It is most unlikely that the king would have gathered two women from the Israelite nation and given them this command to destroy the male children of their own nation. We read in this chapter that Plan B has drastic measures, drastic consequences. And if you can, for a moment, I want you just to think upon Shipra and Pua. I want you to picture the scene in your mind. Because in verse 18, we read that they are summoned to the king when Plan B fails. But we know in verse 16 that they were also summoned to the king. And I want you to picture, if you can, Shipra and Pua as they go to work from day to day and as they walk past this palace, a palace that they probably have seen on a daily basis or at the very least most very, very frequently. And I'm sure they thought many a time never in their lives would they ever enter into the king's palace. But now they are summoned before the king. Can you imagine what's going through their minds? Can you imagine these two women walking together making their way to the palace. Can you imagine them walking through the gates? Can you imagine Pua saying to Shipra, why have we been summoned? Can you imagine Shipra saying to Pua, I wonder if we've done anything wrong. I can imagine Pua saying to Shipra, well, I don't think we have, but I just can't understand. Why on earth is the king summoning us? We're only midwives. What would he want of us? You can picture them walking through the palace. You can picture them walking and being brought to the throne room. You can picture them seeing this king in this throne room. Imagine the fear these women must have felt, not knowing why they were summoned. Well, nothing in this world could ever possibly have entered into their mind as awful as the reason why they were being summoned. They could never have imagined beyond their wildest dream that a plan would have been planned from the very centre of hell itself and was going to come out of the mouths of this king and be presented to Shipra and Pua. These two women found out in the most horrendous of ways in the verse 16 what was going to be commanded of them. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birthstool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, and if it is a daughter, she shall live. I know there's at least one midwife in here today. I won't name her. There may be more, but I know there are many people from the medical profession in here, and it just must make you sick to the teeth the pit of your stomach to read these words as it does to me. It's bad enough that they are being summoned to the, th- to the throne room. 
It's bad enough that the king commands the murder of these baby boys. It's almost beyond belief to read that these baby boys are to be murdered in the process of the mother giving birth. And it is beyond comprehension that the king commands of Shipra and Pua that in the process of the mother giving birth that Shipra and Pua are to become the executioners of these little boys. It's beyond us to understand that. And it's beyond us to understand that Shipra and Pua are given the task of murdering these little boys while the mother is giving birth and it's to be done in such a way that the mother is to be oblivious to the fact that the child that has been born is being murdered. You know, there are hard and there are brutal stories in the Bible. And there are things in it that we don't really want to speak about and preach on. But they're there for a reason. And what you have here is a diabolical degree from the king. As I've said, from the pit of hell itself. A new government policy comes into place. It is established by the king and it is to control the birth and the population of the Israelite people. What an evil man this king was. Who on earth can understand how somebody as king can come up with a plan like this? And what he's basically saying is some are selected to live and some are selected to die. You would think that we would never come across anything like this again in Scripture. But there are loads of stories like this in the Old Testament. Probably the best known one is in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 18, when Herod seeks to destroy Jesus Christ as a babe. And Christ as a babe, the king is so determined to kill Jesus that he orders the death of every male child under two years of age in the kingdom to be slaughtered. You have a slaughter of the innocents here in Exodus. You have a slaughter of the innocents in Matthew chapter 2. Christ was nowhere near two years of age when the wise men from the east were guided by the Lord to go a different way. But just to be sure, Herod slaughtered every child up to two. And I don't need to remind you of the horrors of the Nazi regime during the Second World War. I don't need to remind you of what the Jewish people went through there and the horrendous experiments that were done on the young children in and through these years. Man's inhumanity toward man is beyond our understanding. And again, there are hard truths. We ask the question, well, how are they to be killed? How is the midwife, how is Shipra and Pua supposed to kill these young children? Well, I don't want to alarm anybody. But my friends, a simple finger on the throat would do the job. A hand over the mouth for a few minutes, a few moments, would do the job. To do the two things at the same time would do it extra quickly. 
These were the murder weapons that the king expected Shipra and Pua to use, while the mother was completely oblivious to the fact while she is given birth. There was to be no evidence of strangulation or anything like that. This was all going to be passed and put down as it were on paper as difficulties during birth. That is what we have said before us. Shipra and Pua totally understood what was expected of them. They knew the kind of king this man was. They watched the slave labour of these men and of the Israelite people. And you can be sure that they were warned with death if they did not obey the king's rule. And just imagine if by chance they were actually more midwives other than themselves. Imagine if you can if they were the chief midwives of other mid of the team. How on earth do you bring a message like that to other midwives? Why kill only the baby boys? The answer is given in verse 10. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join the enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Imagine that. Here's the king, and he's terrified of babies being born. And all he can think of is in 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years' time, 19 years' time, 20 years' time, these boys will grow into men, and these men will maybe grow into soldiers who will fight against us. So his plan is to rid them. Wipe them out. That is why he is enforcing the slaughter of the innocents. And what's even more horrible about this story is that the birth stool that we read of here in verse 16 is the only thing that was available at that time for these mothers to help them and to ease them. The birth stool was basically two stones that were shaped in order that the mother could either kneel or crouch or, or in some way sit in order to be able to give birth in a comfortable position. And from that, the midwives were able to deliver the child. But yet the king appoints and demands that these birth stools are the very place where these children are to be killed. You know, if Pharaoh's plan had succeeded, he would have wiped out, without a doubt, the Hebrew people at that time. Because in the fullness of time, there would be no young boys growing into men. The babies would have been killed. The young baby boys would have been killed. The little baby girls that were born, that grew into young women, would have been forced to intermarry into Egyptian society. And in so doing so, they would have been forced to turn their back upon God and anything to do with God. Can you begin to imagine and realize now what's going on in this king's mind? How dark and how evil he is. 
And I have no doubt whatsoever that when Shipra and Pua left his throne room that day, I have no doubt but that the king was fully convinced that his plan would come to fruition. I am fully convinced that when Shipra and Pua left, that he would have been convinced he had intimidated enough these two midwives to force them to carry out this evil deed. But man alive was he in for a surprise. As his first plan had failed, so too would his second plan fail. Because he was now about to meet a greater force than his own power. And what is that greater force than his own power? We read simply that the midwives feared God. They feared God's law, they respected God's law, and they feared God's wrath more than they respected the laws of Pharaoh and the wrath of Pharaoh. Isn't that wonderful? And their faith in the Lord gave them the courage to do the very opposite of what they were asked to do. You know, you don't read in this portion of scripture that there was one midwife and her name was Shipra. You don't read that there was one midwife and her name was Pua. You read there was two. Two to give strength to each other. Two to support one another. Two to help each other as sisters in Christ. That is why there are two. So that they, and their faith in, in the Lord was a support to each other in and through this command. When you are going through hard and difficult times, you know only too well what it means to have a brother and sister by your side. Their professional honour as midwives was at stake here. And they know, these two women, they know that their calling is not to murder, their calling is to protect the newborn babe and to protect the mother at all costs. And they are sickened by what they are asked. But as they would have been also well warned by Pharaoh of the consequences. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think that I am fully convinced they would have been very much told of the great rewards that would be awaiting them if they obeyed the king. If Shipra and Pua had obeyed the king, there would be no two richer women in the whole of Egypt than them. What we read here is what we would call in our day, in our time, in our day-to-day civil disobedience. That's what we have here set before us. It's recorded too in the book of Daniel, in chapter 3. You all know the story of Shedrach, Meshach and Abednego, when they refused to bow before the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 16 says... Shetrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the Lord, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need of you in this matter. If this is so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship your golden image that you have set up. Verse 17. 
civil disobedience. Now, you don't read of powerful words like that from Shipran Pua. But what we know is that they left it in the Lord's hands and they went to the Lord for help. But notice again in this portion in Daniel, you don't read of just Shadrach. You don't read of just Meshach. You don't read of just Abednego. You read of three men together at the same time. Brothers in Christ united, strengthening one another in a time of difficulty. And you also find in the book of Acts, in chapter 5 and in verse 28 and 29, when the apostles had been arrested for preaching about the Lord, and then they were freed, in verse 27 we read, And when they brought them, the apostles, to the council, the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intended to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. You see, therefore, surely the strength and unity. And then as the days went past, and as the weeks went past, and perhaps the months went past, and perhaps nearly a year went past, we don't know exactly how long, we read and we realise that somewhere as the process of time goes past, this king realises that plan B has also failed. And this king is absolutely livid now with rage. And he summons once again Shipran Pua to the throne room of the palace. And it's interesting to note that the Lord didn't mysteriously hide them from the king. It's interesting to note that he didn't miraculously take them away somewhere else where they would be safe and where they would not have to face the king. No, Shipran Pua had to appear before the king and render an account of their actions. And it is that from there we move into our second heading for a few minutes. The words of the midwives to the king. We read these words in verse 19. And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. Now how are we to understand their statement? How are we to understand what these midwives are saying? This is the great debate that many commentators have so many problems with and they trip themselves up time and time and time again. The question is, did Shepra and Pua lie to the king in order that they would not be killed? Did they tell a lie? Did they take refuge in a lie? Well, we can say, well, if they did, you can understand it. Because after all, they were summoned to murder. And there is an unavoidable conflict taking place here. What is worse, to murder a child or to tell the king a lie in the process of hiding the truth? But my friend, Scripture doesn't tell us 
at Shipran Pualaid. Scripture tells us in verse 17 that they feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, and they let the male children live. There are many people that say there is no moral dilemma here. Even if they lied, they did nothing wrong because it was to protect the newborn baby boys. But if we go down that route, what are we expected to say of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 with regard to murder and lie? Some will say that they lied out of deceit to protect these children. And some will say that they refused to kill the baby boys because they were a gift from God and that somewhere down the line this was maybe just part truth, part lie. I'm sure we can all relate to that. I'm sure we can all relate to those of us who are parents and at one time or another, or if you're like me, very frequently, telling this white lie part truth, part fib to our children. I wonder if you can remember this white lie from your own parents, part truth, part fib, growing up. But even if that is the case, there's an element of deceit there too. And the Lord will not put up with any form of deceit. It is easy to criticise, isn't it? What's worse... What's the lesser of the two evils? To lie or to kill? How on earth do we get out of this buroch? How on earth do we get out of all this confusion? Well, there's only one simple way. We simply accept that what the midwives are saying is true. Yes, those of us who have been there and have witnessed children coming into the world... And we read here that, um, the, that the, the Hebrew women, they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes. When we read verses 7 and verse 12 of this chapter, we see beyond doubt that the Lord is at work. And we see that there is a supernatural, extraordinary work of blessing in the increase of the Israelite people. Despite what is thrown against them, they continue to multiply. And if we can believe that out of these 70, so many people come, why is it so hard for us to believe that the Lord in his mercy allowed these women to have easy births? Here is the hand of God at work. And it's as simple as that. But when you think of it, it's marvellous. Because when the hand of the Lord is at work, look at what he's protecting. He's protecting the mothers. He's protecting the little boys being born. He's protecting the little girls being born. He's protecting Shipra. He's protecting Pua. And he's protecting the whole nation of Israel as a whole. I wish today I had time to tell you about the supernatural experience that I had on New Year's Day when the Lord came into my life in 91. But time doesn't allow it. And it ties in so wonderfully with this story. 
Shipran Pua simply brought this major problem to the Lord and pleaded for the Lord to intervene. And the Lord did just that. And you know this, I believe with my whole heart that if they were guilty of anything, they were guilty of simply just walking slowly. When they were summoned, when the mother was in birth, just walking that little bit slowly in order that the Lord and the hand of the Lord would intervene. It's wonderful when you sit and when you think about the part that these two women played. And they're almost insignificant in the word of God. But they allowed the Lord to take over the situation. And then finally a word on their last heading. What does the Lord say? The Lord's words regarding the midwives. We find that in verses 20 and 21. So God dwelt well with the midwives. And there you have it again. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. Because of the work of Shipran Pua. Because of the hand of the Lord. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. The second plan of depopulation fails. And at this point the king must be wondering, what on earth have I got to do to get rid of these Israelite people? You know, can you, can you, can you picture Shipra and Pua leaving the palace after they have met with the king? Can you picture Shipra saying to Pua, we got out of that alive. I can picture Pua saying to Shipra, going in to meet the king, we might not come out of this meeting alive. And they come out of it alive. And they come out of it because the king has believed their account. And can you imagine them and picture them walking, leaving the palace, walking out the gates, maybe seeing the mothers there with their children, with their sons, And being able to point and say, we saved these children, we saved these children. This plan has failed. The king's plan to murder the male children when they were born in the birthing process. But yet, by the time the midwives reach, the children are born, feeding from their mother's breast, safe, sound. And Shipran Pua were able to say to the king, Well, you commanded us to kill these children in the process of them being born. How could we take them from their mothers after they were born and kill them? And as a reward for their faith, as a reward for their humanity, the Lord gives them families of their own. We don't know how old Shipra and Pua were at this time. Maybe they were past, maybe they were older, and it wasn't naturally possible 
Who knows? But the fact that God honours these two women and gives them families of their own as a reward for their obedience, for their work, does that not show us how precious children are to God? Does that not show us today how precious children are to our church, to our Sunday school, to our families? Isn't it interesting to note that out of any reward that the Lord could have given them, he blessed them with children of their own. And you know, it's almost a strange blessing when you think of it. The Lord gave them children of their own at a time when it was unsafe to have children. Have you ever thought of that? I wonder what children Pua and Shipra had. I wonder if they were girls that the Lord provided for them from a safety point of view. I wonder was it sons and they were dealt with in a miraculous way like Moses or the, the Deliverer was in chapter 2. These things are not revealed to us but this is a reward that they are given. And these two women, they are able to leave that palace and they are able to say, you can picture Shipra saying to Pua, well, whatever else happened, we've done all that was asked of us to do. And how true that was. They did all they could for the Lord's glory. Finally, we read our time has gone, but the last plan was even worse than the first two put together. In verse 22, the king is so enraged that he says that every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast him into the Nile, and every daughter she shall live. The king gives the authority to people, to his own, probably soldiers, to check and double-check and time and time again, and if they find any word or any evidence of a newborn babe, that's a boy that has been born, that child is to be thrown into the Nile. Yes, many will die. But there's one child that won't die. And his name is Moses. And if you have time in the afternoon, I plead with you to read chapter 2 of Exodus, because it's a wonderful chapter 2. Moses, the deliverer, was delivered as a baby, and he would become the leader of the nation. This one who was a type of Christ was delivered and saved as a young child. You know, I hope that Somewhere down the line today, it's made us think a little bit about Shipra and Pua. It's great to hear the wonderful stories of Moses and Abraham, of whom chapters and chapters are written. But it's equally wonderful to find these little nuggets in Scripture and see how the Lord used them. Finally, why are Shipra and Pua mentioned in scripture. Why does it not just say there were two midwives? Well, I might be wrong in this, but I believe that their names are given in scripture to honor them. 
for our benefit, so that from all, from generation to generation, we would know of the work of Shepran Pua, because of their godly deeds whilst they were found on mercy's ground. While our time was gone. But remember this as we part from one another today. Shipra and Pua had to appear before the throne. They had to appear before the king. They had to render an account of what they did before this king. And the king believed their story. And as we prepare to walk out that door in a few minutes' time, we must remember that our time is coming too when we will stand before not just a king but the king of kings and we will render an account too of how we lived our lives. Shepra and Pua, my friends, are in glory just now worshipping the Lord whilst we are in here speaking of them. And surely, surely there's nobody in here today who's going to turn round and say to me that I want to spend eternity forever in hell with somebody like this king who would decree an order like this to murder children. Surely you are not saying to me that's the kind of people I want to spend eternity with. Oh no, friends. How much more wonderful it would be to be with Shipra and Pua and Moses and all his believing people throughout the endless ages of eternity. It is my hope and it is my prayer that as we are all found gathered here in the house of the Lord today, that each and every single one of us would in the fullness of time be found gathered up in glory, worshipping with our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, because Jesus paid it all. When it comes to salvation, there is no plan B. It's his way, or it's hell. May the Lord in his mercy lead us all to a saving knowledge of him. Shall we turn in conclusion to our final reading, our final singing today. Our final singing is in Psalm 2, verses 1 to 12, 1 to 7. While we're turning to this singing, I've been asked to intimate that on the way out that there are smarty tubes available at the door. And uh, if there is anybody who hasn't got any, please feel free to collect them on the way out and take as many as needed. All the money, as you know, will go towards the building project. And as we sing in conclusion, I ask your forgiveness as we prepare to leave here today because um, I'm still just not comfortable with going to the door with all that's going on at this present time with covid I would love to meet you at the door. If if I'm asked to come back another time later in the year, maybe things will be easier. But at this moment in time, I would ask that we would all leave the back door a row at a time 
in a safe manner.